so this is, this is for us. This is for the men. Session is hand-to-hand combat. So what are we, we, we going to say about this? We are training for the struggle. And part of that training is going to be training for hand-to-hand combat. I love this guy. I absolutely love this guy. He just looks like a real man. There's a, you may have, have y'all heard of the website uh, Art of Manliness? Yeah, right? It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty solid. Um, and they, they have a, this, this kind of similar depiction. But he just looks like a real man, but he also looks like he's ready for something. Um, so anyway, yeah. <laughs> yep, he's, he's, he's ready for the fight. Um, I want to start by asking you if you remember. Everybody seen Lord of the Rings? Those those movies, okay. Some some of the Lord. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna remind some of you of a scene in that movie, um, and those of you that don't know it can, will be <clears throat> will be able to easily picture it. Um, but it kind of goes like this, and, and for you, those of you who know, it's before the Battle of Helm's Deep, and so there's the peaceful people. They've kind of retreated. They're retreating to this fortress, and that's that's going to be where they try to hold the line. And you can already imagine that there's the army of these savage brutes that are bearing down on them. And the, the specific thing that came into my mind was this, this scene where their great you know, uh, leader, their, their military leader, and this, um, his, I guess so that's Aragorn, he encounters this young man, okay? And the, the whole tone of this whole sequence is very somber. Because the, these peaceful people are not used to war. And the, so this particular scene comes up and there's um, their great... I got a incoming call from my cousin there. Um, and, oh, I work. So there's a young man and he's standing there and he's holding a sword. But he's, he's holding it in a way that it just looks like he has no idea what to do with this. And it's a really nice scene because they're the, the, their highest, most, um, you know, most impressive um, fighter and leader stops and, and sees this young man. And uh, it goes something like this. He says, you know, let, let me see your sword. And um, he asks him his name, and I think his name is, it starts with an H or something, Halas or Hammer or something, okay? And he says, this is a good sword, but the, the dialogue also goes to say that this young man says, you know, the men are saying we won't live out the night. And it's just this total dejection. And what, what struck me from that, I mean, the, the, it, it, was, it was a beautiful scene. And the, to see that leader encourage the youngest one of them, it was, was a beautiful thing. But it was also like, it, made, it caused me to think, here's a young man who is, I mean, the battle is coming that night. And he has a sword, but, but he's not ready to use it. He is not ready for this battle. And it caused me to think, you know, in terms of spiritual things, we all have a sword. Man, we need to be getting that thing and being ready for battle. And not to be critical of this young man, he had, all he had known was peace. He had known peace for all 15 years of his life. He's still very young, right? But you have to expect as a man of God, that the battles are going to be coming. And in fact, the battles, we, we think of them being kind of like our lives as Christians, being kind of like long periods of peace, and they're just kind of punctuated 
at great intervals with battles. And it's not that way. The battles are daily. And that's, that's one of the things I want us to be thinking as we, um, as we think about hand-to-hand combat. And of course, I want us to think about preparedness. Um, but let's, let's do it this way. Let's, let's talk about hand-to-hand combat in um, a couple different ways. So, first of all, knowing your opponent or, or knowing whom you, who it is you're going to face. Now, I have some things that are going to be unexpected to say about this. Absolutely unexpected. Not any of you here sitting here know and can imagine what I'm gonna, getting ready to say about that. You, can, you, you know some of it. You know, you know what needs to be said about this. We have an enemy, right? So, so that part of it's going to be um, uh, expected. But then, so we, know, we need to know who we're going to face. You know, if, we're, if I'm going to go into a boxing match, it's like, I need to know if, like me as a lightweight, if, if the other champion, you know, uh, you know, contender, if he's a heavyweight, I need, to, I need to think about this. I need to, yeah, it's not going to go well, right? I need to know who I'm going to face. I should have put it, put it this way just to make the alliteration more um, uh, uh, noticeable, but you need to know who you're going to face, and then you need to prepare for the fray. I like that word, fray. Um, so I'm using it. Um, so who, are we going, who is it that we're going to be thinking? If we're, if we're going to be training ourselves for, did I get it right? Hand-to-hand combat, right? Who are we going to be facing in this? The devil. We're coming there, for sure. <laughs> you with me? What about our brother? Is there any, is there any time in which there's, we go hand-to-hand with a brother? Okay. I'm not doing this just to be clever or to be um, unexpected. I think there's something very important to be said about this. Okay? And here's why. This is, the, this is the passage that originally made me start thinking along these lines, and you may have anticipated this as soon as I said, your brother, your friends. Sometimes um, we need to be able to go to a brother, and it's kind of like, have you ever had somebody come up and punch you in the arm and be like, come on, man, what was that about? Have you, ever, have you ever talked about needing, or either, either you know, somebody specific, Joel? It was like, that kid needs a smack upside the head. Sometimes, this, sometimes these things need to happen and they need to take place. And are we going to be such soft men that we're not going to give each other the kind of punch in the arm that you need? And, they, and we're not willing to say, come on, man. And we're not willing to say, um, man, I think, you're, I think you're going down the wrong road here. Um, I think that person you're hanging around is not good for you. You need to think about this. This person's, and, and you're spending too much time with them. That kind of thing. We need to be able to have some straight talk with our brother. Proverbs 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Is there a way in which a friend can wound a friend? Well, come on. Yes, I think so. I think it's important for us to to, to think along those lines. Deceitful instead are the kisses of an enemy. They'll tell you what you want to hear. Um, we'll say uh, more about the enemy, like you're saying. Absolutely. We, we have to talk about that. It's so important. We need to be thinking about facing him as well. But what about a friend? 
Yeah, so, so the question I'm going to ask you is, do you have what it takes to show some tough love to your brother and to keep each other straight and keep each other accountable? Um, the psalmist wanted that. He was like, let the righteous smite me. <laughs> it's like, I can actually, if I need a punch in the arm or whatever else, or I, a smack upside the head, I want someone to do that for me. Let the righteous smite me in kindness and reprove me. Um, and those two things are going to go hand in hand in the passages we read. It's like, it's comparing um, the kind of correction that we can give each other as brothers. It's like, we keep each other straight. We need to be doing that. Um, and you, could, you compare it to, to saying, hey, come on, what are you thinking? Right? This is important. This is, so I, I hope, you, um, hope you see why I'm mentioning this. It's oil upon my head. Do not let my head refuse it. If I ever get to the point where I'm like, no, I don't want to hear it. I want you to punch me in the arm and say, no, you're going to hear this and, and, and get you straight. Now, okay, we need, to, we need to pause because Galatians, so many passages, what do they say? Well, when your friend is overtaken in a trespass, how do you start out your approach with them? Do you come to them just ready to boil over and, and it's, a, it's a combative way? No, no, right? Explain, the, explain what it is our, that our approach is generally going to be with um, somebody who needs to hear correction or that kind of thing. What is our approach generally? Right. Right. There's your motivator. Love is your motivator. Love is your motivator to, um, to be extremely gentle with your words um, and all of that. And it'll be our motivator for this when that's necessary, too. I'm not going to overstate the case here. But you were going to say, well, yeah, absolutely. You need to realize that um, they're, they're going down the wrong road. And you need to like, feel that it's like, now it's on me to change that for them. Um, I've seen it happen. And I guess I'm not going to tell the story. But I've seen it happen where there was a young man who had turned to the Lord Turned back to the Lord. He had gone his own way for a long time and been uh, <clears throat> gotten, you know, heavily involved. Just had become a drunkard, and really was trying to make an effort again. And but then after a while, that effort seemed to slack, and you, you know, you wouldn't see him, and he wouldn't even be at worship a whole lot. And it, it was on me to go find him and to go to go help him, and I didn't do it. And his girlfriend that he had been messing around with, found him dead in his apartment. Um, And he needed a brother to go punch him in the arm and say, you're going the wrong road, man. You're going down the wrong road. So, this is extremely important. Um, You'll see in this the kind of Hebrew parallelism they would, they would say one thing and then say something that's very similar but maybe different somehow or it puts a new spin on it. Um, back in Proverbs, you strike a mocker and the simple will beware. It's like you can get the message across even, even to a mocker sometimes. <laughs> but what he says is, rebuke a discerning man and he will gain knowledge. You'll get the message across. He says, you know, I needed that. And we're all among brothers here who have like a spiritual outlook. I, I really trust this. I really trust that all of us here have a spiritual outlook. And we're going to know, like, 
if I come to you and, or you come to me, I'm going to know why you're doing it. And I'm going to appreciate that I, I, because I need that. We have, we have to be able to help keep each other accountable. Um, and then, then this beautiful piece, this beautiful piece from Nehemiah. We're going to study this next Wednesday night. Um, so the people, were, the people were being extremely wrongheaded. And they were going back on some of the things that they had said. They are, um, they are messing around with the uh, people of the land and making these, having these marriages and these alliances. And Nehemiah knew when it was appropriate and needed to go deal out some blows. <laughs> right? So there in Nehemiah 13... Um, I guess I'm just going to summarize verse 23. They're marrying these women from all these other places, and now they have children, and they don't even speak the language of Israel. This is a disgrace. And they had taken oaths not to do this and that they were going to separate themselves from the peoples of the land. And Nehemiah says, so I contended with them. That's hand-to-hand combat, guys. I contended with them and cursed them and struck them, uh, struck some of them and pulled out their hair. That sounds more like a cat fight, but like whatever, whatever it's going to take, a slap upside the head, a, a sucker punch, no, no, not that, but, but uh, the, the kind of me- getting the message across that you're going the wrong way and you need to, you got to change it. And I know that most of the time that's, I mean, we all know that most of the time that this all is going to take place in a very figurative way, but we need to be able to say at least, you know, come on, man. Hey man, I don't know. I know you, I, you know, you know I love you, <laughs> um, and I really think you're making a mistake here. Um, you know, that, like I said, that person you're hanging around, it's, you know, they're not good for you. And, and they're, especially, that, that girl is, is, is not good news. Um, that app you have on your phone, that app you have on your phone is like leaving you open to all these kinds of temptations. It's not good for you. Let's have these conversations and uh, punch each other in the arm when it's needed. So, we have to be willing to um, go into that hand-to-hand combat with our brothers, yeah? Okay, what else? We're not to the enemy just yet because we need to have the willingness to go hand-to-hand with ourselves. And the passage that made me think of this most distinctly um, is 1 Corinthians 9. And in 1 Corinthians 9, the Apostle Paul is talking about the way... He uh, serves the Lord and, and teaches the gospel. And he's very disciplined. In the last couple of sessions, we were talking about discipline, right? Um, we, we brought that up. And that's what Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians 9. He's extremely disciplined. So in verse like 23, um, he's saying, I do all things for the sake of the gospel that I may become a fellow partaker of it. And then he says, we're going to talk about some, uh, some ways where people compete, right? And we're talking specifically in this thing, we give it the title of hand-to-hand combat. And so that gives it a particular kind of flavor. But all of these things are the same kinds of principles. You need, um, you know, there's going to be conflict and you need discipline and, and preparation. And what he says is, um, Verse 24, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Well, 
How, how are you going to run then? He says, well, run in such a way that you may win. And then he says, and everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. And they then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So he's saying, it's like a race. It's like, a, it's like these, even like these gladiator games. And verse 26, therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. And, ready? I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I buffet my body. I discipline my body. I literally like strike a blow to my body um, and make it my slave. Lest possibly after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. So it's like we're going to notice in two of these passages, I want to ask you a question. How many people is it talking about here? If he says, all right, I'm letting one of these fly. I'm letting one of these fists fly. And it's, and it's landing a blow. What, how many people are involved here? Well, it's actually not just one, kind of. We need to be thinking about, I am not my body. And my body is not me. I'm a spirit. I'm made in the image of God. Now, I have a body. My body is this container, container for me. And I need to treat it, and I, I need to start getting the message across. It's like, you're not in charge of me. My, I'm the boss here, and I'm willing to fight you over it, <laughs> okay? You're my body, but I'm willing to fight you over it. And I, I think the, the scriptures bear out the idea that I'm not really, I'm not stretching anything here. <laughs> I, that we have to um, be willing to think. So the, our body doesn't own us. I say, I, I own you. Um, and more about that in just a second. No, actually more about that right now. Look at First, uh, First Thessalonians chapter 4 just real quick. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about um, how we walk, how we please God. Um, and he tells them, look, and just so you understand, this is how you walk. And I'm telling you guys, this is how you walk. And I'm encouraging you like he did in verse, two, verse 1, excel still more in this area. So here's how, <clears throat> here's how he says we, um, uh, we deal with these things. For you know what commandments we, we gave you by the authority of the Lord, our Lord Jesus. Um, so he says, you need to walk in this way and please, please God in this way. Now, verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. You are not your body. So I need to get a grip on this container vessel that holds me in right now. I got to get a grip on it. And I say, I possess it. It doesn't, it doesn't own me. I own it. And when it's trying to uh, get the better of me and try to be the boss of me <laughs> and saying, I demand this, or I need this. And if it's not good for me, I say, absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> right? Serious. Um, Think about, so this whole, like, I'm two persons idea is also found in uh, James chapter 1. So turn real quickly just to James chapter 1. Because you have something here that doesn't make any sense at all if I'm just one person, so to speak. You you have to, I think you understand what I'm saying here. Um, Because what he says is, um, 
Let no one say in verse 13, when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. We know that God's, God's not tempted by Abel. He can't tempt anyone. But look at this statement in verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is carried away. He is carried away. And he is enticed by his own lust. So it's like, here I am. But then my body is saying, no, I'm running away with you now. You're carried away. It's a, it's, and that's a reference there to captivity. It wants me to be captive to its lusts. And we can't go there. Um, and what he's saying is, if you let your body carry you away, you're going to go into all kinds of ruin and all kinds of trouble. So what I'm saying is, we're like two. I can't be carried away by myself. I can't pick myself up and carry myself away. But my body can run away with um, all my good intentions if I let it. So let's, let's, let's be thinking about our, our sanctification and the desire to, to win in this internal battle. Okay? Good? Yeah. How's that? We're going to win in this internal battle. And um, look at Matthew chapter 5 just quickly as we wrap up this section about just like thinking about contending with ourselves. Matthew chapter 5 verse 27 is just, I mean, so familiar. It's teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, but it's, this, is, this is the way that I think the Thessalonians, uh, Paul was, what Paul has in mind when he's writing to the Thessalonians. Now, verse 27, he says, there's this kind of internal, internal struggle. Um, you've heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. And so we've said a lot, we've already started hinting a lot about all these, the, the lusts of the flesh that are trying to take us away. And John talks about the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. All these things are the temptations that are within us. And um, these are the ways we deal with them uh, that, we've, that we've been seeing. We need, to, we need to recognize it and we need to get a grip and have that self-control, have that discipline um, to, to say, I'm the master here, right? But this is true. So I've said that's true about um, our physical desires that are right in the right context and wrong in the wrong context. But these apply to many other things as well. We get a grip and we get control of ourselves. It says, and if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for one of the parts of your body, see that's not you, the parts of your body um, to perish than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble, um, it is better for you that one of your parts, um, one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to go into hell. You, you say, here's your, here's your struggle. You say, absolutely not. I won't do this. I won't be carried away by just what my body thinks I should be doing. Um, or anything, anything where yourself is interfering. Okay, let's move on. Because there's, there's an, there are other battles coming. But these, as you know, um, are, are part of our struggle as well. So hand-to-hand combat. Okay. There's a battle with the enemy as well. Um, so what do we need to say about this? Well, uh, let's return to that opening example we talked about. A young man with a very good sword. 
but he wasn't prepared to use it. He hadn't trained with it. <clears throat> There's actually one thing that I thought of in the story of David that runs very similar to these lines. Turn to 1 Samuel 17 just real quick. Do you remember before he went into battle with Goliath? Somebody tell us um, what Saul thought he should do. You remember? Yeah, what did, what did Saul think David should do to be prepared and like equipped for this battle? Yeah, put on the heavy armor. And that sounds, it sounds perfectly reasonable. And, and the, I'm not taking anything away from the heavy armor. And I mean, the king's armor, you have to know that that was the best of the best. But there's something I want you to notice in verse 38. Um, it says, Then David clothed, uh, Saul clothed David with his garments and put a bronze helmet on his head and he clothed him with armor. And then David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk. This is kind of a, if you can picture this, and tried to walk for he had not tested him. So you have the man who's like head and shoulders above everybody else and he has the king's armor and he's putting this on this little shrimpy guy, right? I mean, you can just picture that this was a comical sight. And this is, don't, don't misunderstand me to take anything away from the armor and we're going to talk about that again. We have to rehash that uh, at least a little bit. Um, but, but this doesn't work for him. And why doesn't it work? So he tried to walk, and the implication is it wasn't going well. <laughs> and, but it says, for he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. And David took them off. So the only thing I want to notice from this, and this is not the, the main message that we need to be gathering from David and Goliath, not by a long shot. But if you notice, it's like you can have armor that is very fine and the best, the best of the best. But if you haven't put it on and tried to use it, it's not going to do you any good. Um, so that, that's the only thing I wanted to notice from that. <clears throat> um, but then, just sticking with this text for just a minute to think about what it has to teach us about our combat with the enemy. It, it starts talking about our weaponry. And Leland and, and Brian have already laid the foundation to say that our uh, weaponry and our armor is absolutely um, essential and what we, we're going to have to rely on in the battle. But notice... Um, what Goliath says when David comes to him, okay? When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, several words in here, he disdained him for he was but a youth and ruddy and with a handsome appearance. It's like, this good-looking kid come to fight with me? What even is this? I'm a warrior. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rip him to pieces is what he's thinking. And he taunts him like this. Look at verse 43. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And what I'm noticing from this is, and this is going to be true for you. The enemy is going to look at you and think, well, he's not much. He's actually kind of good looking. <laughs> but he's going to think, he's not much. And he's going to look at your weapons. And he's going to think, well, they're not much. 
what is this, coming at me with sticks? He doesn't have anything on my weapons. And he's going to disdain, and he's going to belittle. Goliath is belittling him for your weapons. The enemy is going to belittle you and make you, and try to shake your confidence in your weapons. Well, it wasn't that David had so much confidence in his sling. What was, what was David's confidence in? It's up there. David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. Those are very impressive. But I come to you with the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. So that's David's trust. David's trust is in the armor that is God um, and in the one who is going to protect him from that. So we're saying the enemy is going to mock you and belittle you for your weapons. But if you begin to doubt them, you're going to begin to lay them down. And that's, there's your defeat. It's your defeat if you lay your, um, your armor and your weapon down. <clears throat> but um, verse 45 is actually where we trans, we, we what are, what's the word? We <laughs> segue. We segue uh, to Ephesians chapter 6. And we'll talk about that some more for the rest of our time. Because I'm just reading this again. You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. But I come to you, and it's literally with the name of of the Lord of hosts, and I'm with him. And that's very much what Ephesians chapter 6 is saying when it starts this section that we've, we've, we've read earlier in verse 10. So look in Ephesians 6, verse 10. Who, who's going to read this for us? Read it like you mean it. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of the Lord. Yes. Our strength is God. Um, so, for, for thinking about chapter 6, we need to be, what we're talking about here is training with the armor of God. Um, and so we're going to be, as verse 10 encouraged us, we're going to be strong in the Lord. The Lord is with us. And in the strength of his might, he provides um, Everything that we're going to need for this uh, conflict. So, here's what we're saying. What we're saying is, our strength is God. That looks different on my computer. <laughs> but you, you know what I'm trying to convey there. So, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Two references to strength. Um, we're, let's reference one more time um, something David said just before, actually, what we had read before, and David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. Amen. Go and may the Lord be with you. God will deliver me. Our God is our strength. Our strength is God. Remember this song? The Lord is my strength in my song. And he has become my salvation. Let's talk about the armor of God, verse 11. We've said um, somewhat about this already. Let's see if there's anything left to be said. It says in verse 11, Put on the full armor of God, that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes, the wiles, the tricks of the devil. Yeah? Put it on. And that's what we're saying 
as we start to make some observations about the armor. Put it on. <laughs> now, uh, a coat of armor is, is very impressive standing in a corner, right? It's like, that's, that's cool. But it's doing you no good. And this is just, it's so simple, we, like, we're, we're likely to ignore it. It's, and it's just painfully obvious and simple. But it's no good if you don't put it on. Now, it's all here for us. It's all here for us. So we just have to get busy um, about putting it on. Now, something that occurred to me is, all right, armor, if it's any good at all, is probably going to have some weight to it. And David's case, when he's like suddenly putting on this armor he's not used to, he's, he's almost like he can't even move. The other thing I want to observe from this is that wearing it is going to take endurance. And so we need, we need that training. Putting it on starts building that. Now, I think if you, if you look at the kind of analogy we're making here, it's like, okay, heavy armor. We're maybe not strong enough to wear it at all times. We're maybe tempted to lay it down. But the idea is, the more you wear it, the stronger you become, and then you're going to build up that endurance so you can wear this at all times. Uh, and that's, that's obviously the goal, and that's what we need to be doing. But there's no, so there's no protection without the armor, and there's no way to build up that endurance for it without testing them. What does that mean? It was like, well, I haven't, I haven't, even, I haven't even practiced. I haven't even tried these things. I haven't been proven. I haven't gone in a battle with my friend and said, okay, I have this armor on now, and I've been, I've been training in it. I want you to come at me. <laughs> like um, Andy Griffith, I want you to come at me with a knife held up like this. And it, it, it's a bad reference. You, only maybe one of you knows this. I don't know. Um, I am doing it. Yeah, I am doing it wrong. <laughs> it's like, so, uh, but what's being said here is that, and, that's, and this, is, this is also what James is saying. Okay? The testing of your faith produces endurance. So put it on. And as the tests come, you'll have that endurance and be able to wear it at all times. And the shield can come around when it's needed. And the sword comes out when it's needed. Um, that's what we're trying to say here. Um, okay, let's move along. How are we doing? What do we have? We're halfway. Okay. Have no, oh, okay. We're in, we're in really good shape, actually. All right. Um, somebody read verse 12 for us. Who has that? I think what he's saying here is that we need to know our enemy. You need to know what kind of battle you're going into. There's a parable told about um, um, counting the cost, and he says, all right, I'm, a, I'm this king. I have 10,000 people, and I'm going into this battle. I wonder if my 10,000 are strong enough to face the one who has 20,000. You have to know your enemy. Um, and, of course, that parable has a, a somewhat different meaning, um, maybe more related to commitment. But the idea is we have, to, we have to look at this and say, all right, am I up against that army? Am I, am I equipped to face that enemy? Um, 
And so what do we need to say about this? Well, let's talk about what, um, what the scripture has to say about it. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. It expands on this just a little bit more. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, like we have, we have our own vessels, right? No, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Those aren't the kind of battles we're actually... Um, but instead, it says, our weapons, the weapons are our, of our warfare are not of the flesh. And Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. And, and he didn't need his servants to be fighting those kind of battles. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, verse 4, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. So, so are we going and tearing down fortresses or aren't we? Well, yes, we are. <laughs> um, but they're the spiritual um, kinds of things. And look at verse 5. This is, this is a very helpful verse, I think. Um, because we're going on the offensive with our weapons, according to 2 Corinthians 10. It says, we have these weapons, and we're going after fortresses, very strong, fortified places. And um, what verse 5 says here is that we are destroying speculations, and listen to this, and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That gets back um, maybe even more to our um, internal battles, but also the other, um, the other kind of arguments that come up. But um, let, me just, let me just illustrate this again by, by mentioning uh, David and Goliath. In 2 Samuel 17, um, verse 20, that's not it. It's 1 Samuel 17, sorry. Verse 26. We, what, what Corinthians says is we're destroying every lofty thing that raises itself up against the knowledge of God, against God. And David was so committed to that, that the whole reason he was interested in the battle in the first place was because of this. David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? What is he saying? There's this man over there, and somebody needs to take care of him because he thinks he can challenge the, the people of God, the armies of God. He thinks he's powerful enough to do that. Somebody needs to go and show him that the Lord is powerful, and the Lord um, should not be treated in this way. You see, that's what's going on in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're destroying everything that raises itself up and confronts um, uh, God. Um, but we have to talk about how we're going to do that. And that, that's gonna, we're going to do that in just a minute. But, um, so two observations about this. Whatever is opposed to God is the enemy we need to look out for. Right? And then secondly, our weapons are exactly what we need to face the enemy. David had all the weapons he needed. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says, you have the weapons you need. Your weapons are divinely powerful. You're, you're not fighting a fleshly battle. We're going to be talking about a sword. But it's not a sword. It's a word. Um, and that's what we're trying to be told by this. Um, 
And then we come back to uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and read verse uh, 13. Who has verse 13 for us? Yeah. So, that armor that we've put on, he's saying, here's why it's so important. You get, pick it up. Let's put it on right now. You need to do this because the, um, the battle is at your doorstep and you need to be ready um, with your armor. So take it up. And this, uh, this section talks about, verse 13, talks about standing firm. Three times in this context, um, you know, we've made reference to that already before. Um, it tells us to stand firm, hold the line. What did Leland say? Why is there no protection on the back of the armor? Why? We're not retreating. We are standing firm. Stand firm, he says. And um, the armor is going to enable us to resist in the evil day. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. That guy on the title of our slideshow. Like when I see, act like men. <laughs> Be strong. I think that one of the translations that I think is like American standard, my, my grandfather always used to love this. He says, quit ye like men. doesn't mean quit. It means act like men. <laughs> Sorry, quit acting like women, act like men. Be willing to, to engage in this battle, whatever this fight is going to take. And equip yourselves so that you're going to have success in doing that. So we're going to stand firm in our faith. And then it says here in Ephesians that we need to be able to resist in the evil day. And I want to say again, um, are we coming to this later? We are coming to this later. We think of the battles as being few and far between. You know, because we, we picture um, D-Day or something. It's like it only happens once. We picture these, these kind of battles. But these battles go on every day. And we are ill-equipped if we're not um, wearing the armor. Every day is the evil day. And the enemy is always, always, always prowling around trying to find an opening. And when we let down our guard um, and we put down our armor, then that's the day we uh, suffer a defeat. <clears throat> We're going to um, address verse 14 and 15 um, just kind of quickly. Um, Leland and Brian have said more about that. But he repeats this, um, in this encouragement. Stand firm, therefore. Having girded your loins with truth, Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Um, what did Leland say? We, okay, so we have this breastplate, right? What's it doing? What's its purpose? Yeah, protecting especially the heart. And that's the first thing. That's, that's what I see from this verse. Guard your heart. Put that armor on so the attacks don't get you where it matters, right? Because once, once the enemy has the heart, 
you're, you're his now. And that's, that's the end of the battle. Um, it, that, the, essentially what that's saying is it's fatal. Um, and then verse 15 it says, And you're going to stand firm having shod your feet. Put your shoes on. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now this is somewhat, probably slightly outside the scope of what we're actually trying to say here. But what it's saying is, you go where the gospel takes you. There's some other things to be said about that. So on, in those two verses, guard your heart, go where the gospel takes you. Um, and then you'll be in the right place to exercise your armor. Um, <clears throat> now what about this? Verse 16. Um, who has verse 16 for us? Yes. So, there's, uh, there's the shield. And it makes reference to these fiery darts, and this is not the only place Scripture talks about shooting the arrows. These are, these are terrifying things. The, the fiery ones are, are devastating. Um, we have this somewhere in here. I want to make sure I'm not jumping ahead too much. I'm not. Many, many men have been slain. <laughs> by an unseen, silent arrow. Comes in um, when you don't expect it. There are even some men who have been killed, um, even wearing armor, uh, because it hit a chink, a hole, a gap. Hit the gap in the armor. Hit, you know, the funniest little spot is all it takes, right? There are no holes in the armor of God. So when you're wearing it, you're safe. But if you let it develop chinks from neglect, then you're, you're open to these fiery darts, and it's doing you no good. Yeah? So that's, that's what I think um, this is saying about a shield of faith. Um, you have the darts coming in. We have to um, watch for them. Um, I've lost my spot in my notes. First Peter chapter 1. Verses 5 through 9. We're talking about the shield of faith. What does faith do for us? We are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. There you go. It's your protection. Get behind that shield. You see it? Get behind that shield and you have protection because it's the power of God and it's because of your faith. Saying, I'm not lowering this thing. I know it can protect me. And I'm keeping it up. Um, and then it says, obtaining as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So it's going to do what it, um, what's on the tin. It's going to do what it claims to do. So, it says, in addition to all, you have to take up that shield of faith. Okay, what about um, verse 17? Uh, who has that for us? Absolutely. So you have the helmet of salvation, and we've already pointed out. Well, I don't want to rehash too much territory. A blow to the head is fatal. I mean, Goliath took one right here, and that was, that was, that was it, right? Um, so our head needs to be covered. But as you would expect, we're going to lean pretty heavily on the, 
the last part of that verse. What does it say? We have the word of God, our sword. So what it's saying is, wield your sword. Get it out. Um, it needs to be put to good use. I think there are a couple different things that we need to be um, seeing in this. My understanding is of this, that the word here is especially going to make the early readers think of the Roman short sword. It's the sword that conquered the world. So if we're talking about a sword, we're no longer talking about attacks that come maybe unexpectedly from those arrows that are coming from who knows where. Where did that come from? It came in hot and it took me out. No, we were keeping our shield up, but a sword, you, you, don't, you don't sword fight at two, 200 feet away. This, now we're talking about close quarters combat. Um, and so that's what we need to be thinking when, when we take out our sword. And we've said as well, so everybody's already is, is setting up. I'm not going to say you're stealing what, I, what, is, what was rightly mine to say in these lessons, but, but you, you, let's just say you're laying the groundwork very nicely. What, what two purposes, Caleb, does a sword have? Offensive and defensive, right? And the scripture points that out. The scripture says, all right, your sword is going to be um, your tool when you go on the attack, and it's going to be uh, your sword for protection. The, the offensive sword um, is described in Hebrews chapter 4, and it, it does just what we said from Acts 2. It gets right in there, and it cuts. It can cut right to the heart, because the Word of God can show a person their heart. It's so important for us to be telling people what the Word of God says, and let it do the work. A person will hear that, and they will know how their life compares to that. And so that's, that's wielding the sword in an effective way. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing. It's going right, right through. Piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow. And what does that all mean? It means this. It's able to judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. Lean on the Word. The Word is your sword. Um, <clears throat> so, so that's what we need to do in that way. But what about using the sword, the Word, defensively? I'm just, we, we've been playing this game all, all day. So let's see if we can play it a little longer. What is Jonathan thinking? There's an example of somebody, a remarkable individual, who used the word as his defensive weapon. What am I thinking about? Anybody want to help us along? Right? Yeah. Where do we find that? Matthew chapter 4? This is, it's, it's the perfect example of um, using the sword as your protection. With every attack that Satan threw at him, the sword protected him. He said, you, you swing like this, the word of God blocks like this. <laughs> On, at every attack. Um, so, G Jesus is like absolutely the perfect 
um, example of this. The tempter comes and says, If you are the Son of God, I command these stones to become bread. And he says, But it is written, the word of God protected him from that attack because he knows that the word of God says man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, I want you to notice what Satan does in verse 6. Satan quotes scripture, and we're going to say something in a second. Sometimes the attacks are deceitful. Sometimes the attacks look um, pretty innocent, he says, if you're the Son of God, why don't, just, why don't you just throw yourself down? Show it. Prove it. For it is written, he will give his angels charge concerning you, and on their hands uh, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. That was a, a devious attack. He's using scripture, misusing scripture, to attack him. He says, Jesus says, on the other hand, it is written, the word, he just swings the block with the sword, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And three times, then he says, look, look at all these kingdoms of the world. I'll give them all to you if you bow down and worship me. Then Jesus said, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So the word is a defensive uh, weapon, a defensive sword. Um, but something else that's going on here is that the word, um, we've talked about it, enlightening our path. It lights it up. It shows us the deceitful attacks. Okay? If we know the word, we know when somebody's misusing the word, right? We can say, that can't be the case because, God, because I know what God's word says. And maybe you don't know right off the bat <laughs> where the issue lies, but you say, I know that can't be the case. And I'm, I can't accept that because I know what God's word says. Um, and so this, the sword um, helps you see the deceitful attacks. It's kind of like Satan, in this instance, when he was um, trying to quote scripture to Jesus, he's kind of like Ehud. Remember the judge Ehud? Remember how that went? It's like, it looks like he's going to give the king a greeting. But then his sword comes out because he's left-handed. And that's kind of like what Satan is doing here. It's like, looks perfectly innocent. Perfectly natural, perfectly cordial. It's like, I know what God has said about you. You're you're the you're the promised Messiah. Just show, why don't you just show us all? What, and it's a, and then the the attack comes in a deceitful and, and daring way, and just like Ehud did. Um, and that what, what's what I'm saying there is basically what Second Corinthians verse eleven or chapter eleven. I'll have you turn there just really quick. Second Corinthians eleven. Verse 14, the word will help us when these uh, kind of um, events come upon us. <clears throat> so you have false prophets, deceitful workers, but they're disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. So you have people that you trust. And no wonder, verse 14 says, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Oh, be careful about his attacks. The word of God is what's going to protect you from the attacks of the person who thinks like he has, um, that, that he's acting like an angel of light. So therefore, it is not surprising if his angels also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end is according to their deeds. So, how about it? Sword is 
the, the defensive weapon we need? Yeah? Yes, it is. Let me ask you a question before we leave the whole sword business. Close quarters combat. What's a, what is a warrior without a sword? He's a dead warrior. So, let's take the sword, let's strap it on, let's have it out, and let's be ready to use it um, where it needs to be used for the um, attacks and where it needs to be used to defend us. Two more things about the sword. Train with each other. If that young man had had more time and had more preparation, he could have trained. And even as a young man, he would have become a swordsman. Train with each other. Proverbs 27, verse 17. I I can't help but thinking about sword making, swordsmanship. Iron sharpens iron. Let's let's swing these swords and and help each other. So one man sharpens another. And then train for offense and defense. Um, and that's, that essentially covers uh, what we've just said. Okay, we need to wrap up our thoughts. So two more, two more slides, two more points here. Verse 18. Let me get back to Ephesians chapter 6. As we said, you know, we're, we're not complete if we stop in verse 17. Verse 18 says... With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. What verse 18 is talking about is prayer and alertness. Let's quickly um, actually go to Nehemiah. Because Nehemiah shows a couple of these things and we've been studying it and I love it. And it illustrates these things just really well. So, Um, Nehemiah chapter 4, and we'll see in, we'll see what it looks like to um, be ready for the combat with prayer and with alertness. Look in Nehemiah 4 verse 8. And so this growing, uh, growing horde of enemies is, um, is getting ready to attack them. Verse 8, And they all of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. And verse 8, But we prayed to our God, and because of them, we set up a guard against them day and night. There's the protection. The protection is in uh, the prayer. We know that there are um, battles coming, um, but we pray to God and we, we pray in the face of those things and be ready for it. And, and then you're protected. You'll be protected. God promises this. And then we said it's also alertness. And there's a lot going on in chapter 4 because we talked about the enemies. We don't know when they're coming. They said they're coming at night. They're coming. They're surely coming. And everybody's a little terrified. Well, he says, don't fear. Let's be ready for this. Let's be ready for this fight. And if this doesn't say alertness, I would love to know what says it. Because, and there's a couple places it says it, but look in verse 21. So we carried on the work. So you're building a wall, but the whole time, the whole time being very careful. Because, he says, we carried on the work with half of them holding spears from the dawn until the stars appeared. At that time, I also said to the people, look, let each man with his servant spend the night within Jerusalem 
so that they may be a guard for us by day and a laborer by night. Um, so neither I, my brothers, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us removed our clothes. Each took his weapon even to the water. If that doesn't say alertness, like I said, I, sh- I just don't know what does. So prayer and alertness, in addition to this armor, um, is going to be our protection. Verse, back in verse 16, And it came about from that day on that half of my servants carried on the work, while half of them held spears and shields and bows and the breastplates. Do these things sound familiar? It's the armor. Keep the armor on. You're going about your work. Keep the armor on. In verse 17, and those who were rebuilding the wall and those who carried burdens took their load with one hand doing the work, with one hand doing the work and the other holding a weapon. It's ready. I, I'm absolutely ready. So, so that's what we've seen. Let's, let's talk about hand-to-hand combat and we'll just summarize what we've seen. We need to know the, one, the, the person we're going to face. It might be that it's trading blows with a brother in the loving kind of way to keep, a, to keep each other straight, right? It could be saying to self, no, I, I am not going down the wrong path. I'm going to keep myself under control. Or it could be that we're facing the enemy and that we're going to have that armor completely on and completely up. And then prepare for the fray. How are we going to do that? Trust in God's power. He has said he can protect you. Put on your armor. Put it on. <laughs> Don't polish it. Put it on and let it, let's get it dirty and let's test it and be ready. Wield your sword and then pray and be alert. Sound good? We can do it.